I'd like to welcome you to WCPT AM's Out Chicago. Think of us as Sunday brunch with your gay best friends. Now, please welcome your host, Scott Duff. And a happy Sunday fun day to everybody out there. Scott Duff here and Ellen Miller. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Ellen. Post-midday election Sunday. Midterm, midterm. Midterm. Yeah, the midday. midday. We can do a midday election, too, if we want. That's fun, you know. (laughs) Vote early and often. Midday, we'll have like, we're like hobbits. We'll have second lunch. Oh, Third breakfast, lunch. you know, all that love, good stuff. There we are. Who doesn't? Mm, really? I'm a breakfast gal. Uh, I'm not. Well, in theory, I'm a breakfast gal, but all I eat is oatmeal. Oatmeal. Every oh, I know. Day. I know you eat the oatmeal. <laughs> I know. I made chia pudding and I did not eat it. Mm-hmm. We got off to a banging start <laughs> right there, didn't we? Yeah. Our minds are full of things. Yeah, girl. So. What a week it has been. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's midterm week. It yeah, was midterm basic, week. Yeah, it was a more of a red splat mm-hmm. than a red wave. Mm-hmm. A, a light spotting, maybe. There we are. Uh, yeah. Well, except in Tennessee. Tennessee, they're taking. They, oof, oh gosh. They're taking a red dump on oh, the, on the LGBTQ they're community horrible. right now. It's ugh, icky. But but oh, there was a rainbow wave. There was. I know it was good, and, so, and then it got cold. Then it got cold oh, here yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. I know. Hey, but you know, listen, we're going to, we've got a great show. We're going to be opening up our phone lines uh, for basically the first hour. We'd love to hear from you, uh, especially new folks who, who are, are tuning in. We yeah. love first time callers. First time like callers. We'd love to. Yeah. So. We're going to give you priority if you say you're a first time caller. Oh, yeah. oh. We've just decided that. I- we're gonna if you if you call in and say you're a first time caller, you're, you're getting. It. We love our regulars, but we want to hear some fresh voices too. So yeah, but we'd on. love to hear from all of you. Yeah, give us a call seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. There we are. So mm-hmm. I'll give that number again and everything. So first hour, we're going to be focusing a lot on you know yes. the the, uh, the the midterm weekend. Oh, I wore my I wore my happy face sweater. I wore my blue sweater. I'm a happy face. I'm not sweater, blue because I'm I'm a little happy. I'm a little happy. Uh, I'm not happy right there. Pa- yeah. Yeah, there we go. Could have been a lot worse. It could have been, yeah. Could have been a whole, a whole <laughs> a lot, lot worse. worse. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, so uh, we'll be talking about elections during the first hour and the midterms and, and stuff and, and good things that happened mm-hmm. and some puzzling things. Mm-hmm. Lauren Boebert is still large. Oh, we know. Yeah. yeah. Did you, have they called her? Do we know? No, they haven't called her yet, I don't Yeah, because I was looking at it earlier today. 99% of the, the thing, the votes are in. If you ever think that your vote doesn't count, oh my gosh, the margin right there, she's ahead about a thousand votes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyway, so we'll be diving into all of that, and the happiness and the tragedy and the the things mm-hmm. that what happened, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the, well, yeah, they're that, they're all Josh Hawley, um, <laughs> except for the good part. Yeah. Uh, but in the second hour, uh, you know, uh, coming up is, is Transgender uh, Awareness Week. Uh, that's coming up this week, and so we're going to be speaking with uh, Black Public Media, which is a Harlem-based national media arts nonprofit dedicated to creating and producing media content about the black experience from all corners of the world. They have this new series called I Am Who I Say I Am. It's a documentary series capturing stories of gender affirmation. And we're going to be speaking with Denise Green, Director of Program Initiatives uh, for Black Public Media, and Britt Fryer, a filmmaker and Chicago native uh, in one of the subjects of I Am Who I Say I Am. And he actually got his uh, his start, it's his taste for 
the arts with About Face Youth Theater. Oh, wonderful. Bananas, right? Yeah, you, the, said, you the directly world, helped him. Yeah, there we go. The world is, has 200 people in it, so just be be nice. Yeah. That's what, that's that's what so I've always true. said. You know, and Steppenwolf's Lookout series is underway in their intimate 1700 theater space. I love that space. You haven't been in not, that, that know, space? No, I have not been there yet. I haven't been in the new, the new one of the oh, rounds. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the new the, one. I've been in the 1700. The 1700. The, I love the that smaller space. one. Yeah, like right a by cabaret the, almost. Yeah, right yeah. by the front bar. I love that. The, I'm, the brand new theater in the round I haven't been Yeah, I haven't been in that one yet either. Yeah. But yeah, here we go. Fingers we crossed. Will. But uh, a theater maker, Tony Kunst, uh, is going to be joining us to discuss Before Winter, which is a solo performance that tackles ongoing issues concerning violence against black trans women. So we've got the good artsy, artsy, spartsy stuff uh, that's also doing the good work. And we're also going to be talking about people who are out there doing the good work in the first hour. So that means we would love to hear from you. 773-763-9278. That number again is 773-763-9278. How do you feel about how the midterms went and are currently going? Yeah, still going. We all know it's midterm week, election week, Mm -hmm. not election day anymore. Um, And of course, you can find us on Facebook where we are coming at you live. You can head over to Out Chicago Radio. And while you're there, give us a like and a click and a share and stuff and all that good things. Uh, Paul is making sure that we are cross post right now. Yes, there we go. And you know what? If that doesn't float your boat, you can always tune in on WCPT 820. Uh, And while you're at it, follow WCPT at WCPT 820 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And check out our sister company, the, The Heartland Signal. As well, so there we go. Ellen Miller, how are you? I'm I'm good. You know, we uh, last night when the news came across that we had won Nevada. Oh, uh, we and and therefore hold on to, to the Senate. The Senate. We were jumping for joy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was very. It, that was very very exciting news. That was very that very exciting news, and uh, you know. <laughs> People thought for sure we were going to lose the House, and there's a very good chance that we were going to lose the Senate, too. And thankfully, that did not come to pass. Yeah, so, so. good stuff. Because yeah. if you had a kind of a mellow week for you, you weren't out running around and yeah, doing we, we, all the you shenanigans. Know, I had a couple of dinner, uh, On Monday, uh, we uh, one of my friends who's uh, Greek, uh, she's a listener to the show. If you're listening, Lynn, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening, we, we Lynn. to call in, so come on, girl. Today's your day. Uh, it was the Greek Lesbians Power Dinner that Gotta we had. Gotta love that. Gotta and love that. All my sapphic sisters it, getting together. It was fantastic. We went to uh, one of the few remaining restaurants in Greek Town, uh, Athena, on Monday night. As and, it should be Athena, and, for, Athena for the Greek lesbians. And we each went around the, and told our stories, like, how our, you know, are we here from our grandparents' immigration, our parents, uh, in one case, uh, Sophia, who we've had her wife on the show from Nobody's uh, Darling. Nobody's Darling. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was part of our group, and she was actually born in Greece. So it was just interesting to hear everybody's st- origin stories, and and then are you you know who are you with? How did you meet your spouse, your wife, your your partner? And we decided we had such a good time that we are going to. Uh, you know, continue getting together. It's, it was a really great group of women. Um, how many? How many women? There were eight there? of us. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Was it everybody and their and their partners and spouses? No, we or decided for the first one. It was just the Greeks. Just the Greeks. Just the Greeks. No, because every single one of us has a non-Greek partner. Which, right. You know, were you? Were there plates being thrown? Or were you cracking eggs on people's uh, head? I know that's just for Easter, but you know. No, but um, but we did have a, a lovely dinner, and then we just kind of uh, hunkered down. You know, Tuesday night for 
for those of us that, you know, like following uh, the world of politics was like, you know, the Super Bowl for us and the, mid, yeah, well, the midterm you know, Super Bowl. Yes and no. See, I, I, I was working on Tuesday night, uh, you know. And I was a little concerned. I'm like, oh gosh, I, I'm not going to be able to listen to all the commentary and all the stuff. The well, stuff you didn't coming miss in. Much. Well, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Because there are all these like claims of election fraud, and blah, blah, yeah. everybody's taking their own sweet time making sure that they count every ballot, and they're they're being very methodical about everything. So one of the things that you know, I was like, oh. I'm going to miss all the commentary, but like, oh, but nope, it's going to be all week. It because was it's all gonna week. Go. It was all night. And of course, I'm I'm so crazy. I was waking up throughout the night and putting Just my checking. earbuds in, no, <laughs> listening to CNN on my phone. And While like you were trying looking, to sleep. Yeah, and listening, looking for more information. I just, you know, I needed more because the information that was coming to us was was good news for the most part. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. to hear more good news. So, um, yeah, I, I will get into, as you said, we'll get into this uh, for the whole rest of the hour. Yeah. We've got a lot to talk about. We do. We do. Yeah. I, How was your week? My week was pretty darn good. You know, just uh, busy, busy, busy. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was beautiful at the beginning of the week. Well, up till Thursday. While I was working. Working. Did you and work then Thursday, my, too? Did I work Thursday? I can't. That was yes, the I did. Seventy-seven that was, degrees. Yes, I did, and I was like a plant leaning towards the window. Oh yeah. <laughs> While I was inside. Sun. I'm like, going, ah, no, because it's gonna go away. But then I had to like, I spent, you know, my my weekend was Friday and Saturday, so I, I spent some time, you know, like just cleaning up the patio, pulling, yanking out plants. I was Marie Condoing the plants yes, again. We did our they plants. They were still stuff. alive. Yes, our- and I'm pulling them out just like, thank you, geranium, for being such a, a wonderful source of joy and inspiration as I'm shoving it into a bag. Did you see my photo of the tomatoes that I picked on Friday? I did. Did you not see that I, I gave you a recipe suggestion for those oh, tomatoes? No, you I, gotta, make, I have to look back on You can it. make a fabulous vinaigrette out of those tomatoes. Well, I'm trying to ripen them right now. In a, with a, in a bag with an apple, but I had like hundreds of they cherry were, tomatoes. They were gorgeous, and they, you know, peppers from the garden. We, we took it all, took it all out. But that's like you, Scott. We were just was doing chores like, around the getting the lawn, getting the lawn ornaments put away, and wrapping up the hoses. And but we did have a fire pit on Thursday night. Cause oh, they knew it would be our so last lovely. one of our last nights. I, I do. I did not. That night, I actually sat on the patio. I was so sad. I got done with work early, and I was like, I'm going to—I grilled up some—the last time to fire up the grill. Yeah. Made some hot honey wings, mm-hmm. which are really, really good. You know, texting with my sister and, and mm. stuff and junk like that. And then yesterday, um, on my my fabulous Saturday night out, mm-hmm. I took in the magnum opus that is SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical, oh. at a local high school. Good Let me tell you, local you high school. something. The pathos, the journey we all went on, the challenges with microphones that we went on. Mm-hmm. I, it all come back it, to you. It all came <laughs> rushing back to me as a former yes. uh, high school theater teacher. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, these kids were great. They were just great. I, although I was, a li- I was, I was a little confused. At the beginning, because I am not, I am not familiar with the multiverse of SpongeBob SquarePants. Ah, uh, nor am I. I knew that there was like, okay, there's SpongeBob. There's like a starfish named Patrick. There's some sort of like octopusy kind of guy, Squidward. 
I need that. Mm. And I know there was some sort of crab who uh-huh. was a crab. Like, I just did. And I the, been right with the you challenging part was, you know, <laughs> was you had young performers up there who were like, here's the opening. And like, you know, this SpongeBob the Musical, we do know, like, played on Broadway. It has music by Cindy Lauper, no, David no. Bowie, Aerosmith. Like, there are so that, yeah. many different people that have contributed it. Tina Landau, uh, an ensemble member at Steppenwolf, she was in charge of directing it and creating this. Like, it was, a, and people love it. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm, and it's a, it's a fabulous Did show. Did you know someone in the show? I, yeah, no, I just showed, rolled well, out. I'm I just rolled, I, well, I just rolled into yet. some random high school. Uh, you never know. Like a total crazy. Just not a creeper to go to a high school production. That is beyond creepy. That is beyond creepy just to show up at a high school and, hey, all right, let's go watch the kids sing and dance. Ooh, ooh, there we are. I think if you showed up, it wouldn't be as creepy, but I think if I showed up to a random high oh, that school. That is true, Paul, because you are a total creep. Yes, 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 yes. They do want to sell tickets. They do want to sell tickets. But it was, but at the beginning, it was like they were doing, there's this whole, you know, of course, like at the opening number, like. It's kind of like the beginning of Beauty and the Beast, you know, little town, little quiet village. Like, it's like, this is my world where I live in. We're introducing everybody. And I'm like, I, okay. So there's, okay, so there's a sponge. I think there's like a, a, a plank, a microbe, a plankton who for some reason is married to a robot wife. And okay. And then there's a, there's a snail that meows, but it was played by a dog. Last night in this in this magnum opus, it I was I'm like going okay, okay. I'm really trying to just like hold on to like what's going on here, uh, but man oh man, those kids they just gave it their all. There was the I was there for a sardine. Mm. Yeah, my friend my, was a sardine. my friend was a sardine. My friend's kid was a sardine, and she was amazing. Mm. And she's like, she's been working on her dance stuff, and she was great. But there was one sardine, and I didn't catch her name. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, that sardine was killing it. Uh-huh. She was, she was in it. She was there. She was engaged in every scene. You could also tell that she kind of wanted to be SpongeBob. So if mm. I was SpongeBob, I would watch out for any glass beads on the floor because she was going to showgirl her real quick. Oh, no. and, yeah, and I'm like, oh, because she was back there like she was still, she was doing it. She was feeling it and she would mouth along to some of the words <laughs> oh, she, that SpongeBob was singing. sure she wasn't the understudy? I don't think she was the understudy. <laughs> okay. I think she was like, oh, you're going, I want to be you. Like, I have a feeling that she was like me, mm. who, like, would go home and then perform the role of SpongeBob in her room, much the way I mm. would go That's home. an insight into you, in my, in my room. Mm-hmm. I told you about how I would do the entire album of Cats. Yeah. Yeah. With makeup and hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and my mom walked in one time while I was doing that, and uh, like I wish and all of her, I wish that she had caught, thoughts were confirmed. Uh, well, I wish that she had caught me masturbating because that would have been oh, less. No. That would have been less embarrassing than walking in on your thirteen-year-old child. Thirteen, I was a lonely kid. Thirteen-year-old child, I hairsprayed up ears. Into my hair, yeah. you know. I had she I had socks on my hands. She there was a lot to be learned mm-hmm. and everything. But I, you know, I just the thing that was so great about about seeing the show that I was reminded of about the importance of you know the arts in school. Oh, for sure. Was it? It's you know it, it's it's such a it's a game changer. It's a game changer for a lot of young people. A, it just it's different. I equate it to sports. 
but it's very different than sports. You know, um, I remember having to, when I was teaching, talking to the, the baseball coach mm-hmm. who was just like, oh, my gosh, you guys put in all this work and you only do it in like twice. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like sports where you have to work as a team. Yeah. However, but with each game or with each thing, you have to uh, create the you have to create the the baseball diamond you have to create the field you have to build all the the uniforms you have to mm-hmm. figure out the rules to each game uh you have to practice 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 as hard as you can you know and then you only have you do a couple it nights. twice yeah. but it's such a huge payoff for these young people you could see they were just beaming with pride um they it, Hey, and all of our great actors, a lot of them, you know, that was their first uh, time on stage. Yeah, you know? but even if you're not going into you know, going into the arts, to have that experience, to be a part of an ensemble, to understand what it means to be a part of a whole, oh, yeah, it's, all good. It, it's really, really great. To understand empathy and an appreciation for the work that goes into what you, what you are seeing on stage mm-hmm. or on screen, eventually, you know, sure. and all that stuff. It, it just, it did Warm the cockles of my heart. Aww. It was two hours and forty minutes. <gasps> Yikes! I will, I will say that it was a long. It was a long one. Like about halfway through, like near the end of Act One, I was kind of like, "This has been going on for an hour and a half." I'm like, "Maybe it's just a one, a one act." And then the lights came up. I'm like, "Oh, good." There's an intermission. So there's more. So you didn't make it home in time to see Dave Chappelle. Did you do his uh, monologue last night on Saturday Night No, I know. I know. Did did you? I, I did not. But I just want to give a big shout yeah. out to these to these young people who, yeah, who, thank who you. did a good thing. That's awesome. Yeah, we can talk about it uh, if anybody wants to. I do want to hear about Dave Chappelle because I know a bunch of writers were boycotting that particular episode uh, of since when he was named that he was going to be the host of that show. Say what you will about him. We don't have to agree, but he is. A pretty brilliant oh, person. Like I have, I have said, he is he is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. <laughs> He's an incredible comedian. I just don't understand why he why he feels the need to continually attack the trans community. No, he didn't do that last night. Of obviously. course, he didn't do that last night. But it's one of those things. He attacked Kanye. Yay. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> so, we can do that. I support that. Yeah. I support that. That's that's. I mean, I guess punching up, but it's more just punching all over the place because, yay, it's everywhere yeah. right now. I want to hear about that at, like, after, but we do have to take yeah, a break. Let's take a break. Um, uh, but before we go, this part about Chicago is brought to you by Team Hochberg. If you are purchasing a new home, refinancing your existing home, securing a VA loan or reverse mortgage, you need to call Team Hochberg, your trusted local lender. David respects veterans, especially as Veterans Day was last week, uh, but he wanted to do more than just saying thank you for your service. So David did something about it. To thank veterans for their commitment to our country, Team Hochberg will be waiving their loan origination costs, which is currently $1,250 the next time Team Hochberg originates a veteran's VA, FHA, or conventional loan. Now let's review. To thank the over 1 million veterans living within the Chicagoland area for their service to our country, Team Hochberg will waive their loan origination fees the next time they originate a veteran's VA, FHA, or conventional loan, saving the veteran $1,295. 
does. Team Ocpar has helped thousands of veterans secure mortgages over the past 20 years, but they can't help if you don't call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. That number again is 855-563-2843 or visit 56david.com. Lower.com, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1124061. We are going to take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, we're diving into midterm election week and get to your calls. Mm -hmm. So stick around. You're listening to Out Chicago right here on WCPT. Welcome back. I'm improviser Matthew Van Colton. You're listening to Out Chicago on WCPT 820. <laughs> and welcome back to Out Chicago. Scott Tuff and Ella Miller rolling along. I'm still, um, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants. He does. Here's one thing, though. Hmm. This production could not have been done in Tennessee because um. the day after the the midterm elections in Tennessee, my former state where I used to live, um, they've got a supermajority there. And they have passed some of the the day after they passed some of the most like. Not the most, it was, although I will say it's, it's right up there. It's right on up there. But they passed a couple of bills. Um, one that uh, it's uh, uh, OK. So it's Senate Bill one. So SB one would prohibit doctors and families from making necessary life saving health care decisions to support transgender youth. OK, that's a it's a felony. Great. Uh, and and, S- and SB three would make performing drag in public where children can see it, making that a a felony as well. Now, SpongeBob SquarePants, the magnum opus, the thing that will live on forever, Mm -hmm. along with, you know, all of Shakespeare's plays and Mm -hmm. comedies, um, uh, it it was an all-girls school. Mm. There are there are boy characters now. Granted, they are sponges, Mm -hmm. you know, and starfish and things, uh, but they were playing Boys, mm-hmm. all be- of them would have been carted off if that would have if that would have happened in 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 Tennessee. Good old Tennessee, yeah, it's it's great. This was uh, the midterm elections happened. Uh, they're still happening. We found out last night that we got Nevada, Nevada, Nevada. Nevada, 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 there we are, Nevada, there we are. Yeah, Catherine That's Cortez right. Mastro, she yeah, pulled it out. she pulled it out, and we, we, we still have the Senate, which we is do. great. And you know what it seemed like, this this whole thing, uh, let's see, abortion played a big old role. Sure did. Yep, as you were saying and hoping and praying. I was, I, I did not, you know, they can say all they want on television and in the media of all sorts that... You know, the it was a big issue right after uh, the you know the Hobbs decision. But right now, it doesn't. You know, it's all about the the gas prices and inflation. Guess what? I'm a woman. I could tell you that we did not forget about our rights being stripped away from us this mm-hmm. summer. And as I hoped, the women in this country did not forget. Nor did the young people, yeah, young Gen men Z. and young women. The, the regressive party, as I like to call it, offers them nothing. You know, they're fighting against uh, wiping out the, the the student loan debt. They're fighting against climate change. They're fighting against a woman's right to choose. They're fighting against LGBTQ issues. What is there for young people to look forward to in that party? They have a big problem on their hands. They, they really do. They really do because they're talking about it's nothing but like they just hate everybody. They're, they don't stand for anything. They don't anything. stand for anything. And guess what? They stood for standing behind a man that brought them power. 
That's what they stood for. And now what are they doing? Now that they see his power is waning, they're trying to distance themselves. They're trying to throw him under the bus. I am so excited that he's throwing his hat into the ring on Tuesday. I really am. Do you think he is going to be throwing it in the ring? I have no doubt because nobody, he doesn't care about what anybody has ever taught. You know, hear the, the, the accounts of his, of his administration now that they're, you know, of course, they didn't say anything at the time, but they're all writing their books now, including Pence, about how he didn't listen, how off the rails he was, how he didn't take anybody's advice. He doesn't care what anybody says about what, uh, him true. running. He's going to run, and he and DeSantis and the rest of them are going to eat each other alive. And it will be, in my opinion, the beginning of the end of the Republican Party as we know it. And oh. I say bring it on. All right, lady. All right. Bring there it we on. go. There we go. Bring it on. And I do want to say uh, just thank you to Gen Z who showed up. Yes, like they that's did. that's the thing because like you're saying, there are zero selling points to the Republican Party uh with uh for Gen Z. Yeah. No, no there's, there's nothing there for them. None. None. They don't you know, they in, don't care. Inflation to them, you know, they're not these are young people looking at their the rest of their lives and looking at the planet and looking at a woman's right to choose and looking at you know how for, how how they've been emboldened to be who they are. If they're LGBTQ, they can be who they are. And you've got a party that wants to just go backwards in time and tell them that's not okay. And guess what? It's not going to be okay because they're going to vote against you. Oh, so I know. You and go. and half like half of Gen Z still can't vote. Right. They're yet. just so yeah. just like look Ta- what, and talk to young people. Yeah. Just today. wait out what's, you know, what's going to happen in the next 14, couple of years. Talk to fifteen year olds. They're just as mad about this as we are. I know. It's so. It's true. I, I've never. I was never savvy, politically savvy when I was in high school. Like at all, you know, and and even as like my young, you know, when I was, I've talked about this all the time. Like you know, even in my twenties, I was like, okay, I, I knew the big things, but I didn't go focus in on the little ones. And and I think a lot of it has to do with you know these little devices that are in our pockets and Absolutely. the fact that social media and and all that and all oh, social media. I'm just gonna get started with that. But you know, I think that it's it's going to be a really interesting. It's going to be a big challenge for uh, the yieldy GOP to try oh, to. Yeah, they've cut them into a pickle that they deserve. It is one dilly of a pickle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one dilly of a pickle. It and, is one And dilly. we want to know uh, what you all think about this week. So give us a call, 773-763-9278. Number again is 773-763-9278. Let's go to the phones and talk to Ray in Edgewater. Ray, welcome. You're on out, Chicago. Hey there. Thank you. Yeah. I, first of all, let me just say, as a theater teacher, the difference between theater and your... Um, Sports guys is the a sports guy a team can lose somebody the day before the game. You can't lose your lead. Yes. For the game and still have a show. Yes. And so they go. Well, we, we can lose the game, but you can't tell the audience. Oh, guess what? We don't have anybody to play those two parts. Ray, I am so with you. <clears throat> you know that. But the back to yes, the young people got us through the finish line. Yeah. And that's a big hope. Yeah. But here's the thing that all of our listeners is: how many people are eligible to vote? aren't registered, and then how many people are registered don't vote. But in Chicago, Illinois, uh, we passed the Workers' Rights Amendment to the Constitution. Yep. 71%. That's, that's world news. We need to be talking about that. That means that everybody can organize, and we can't have, uh, uh, you know, the bad guys that come into office every other year to make laws to change that. That's huge, and congratulations to all our listeners who push that across the line. Oh, absolutely. And, and now the question is, 
on out Chicago, how do LGBT people vote for our mayor election? Well, we don't even know. Who oh, I don't. Yeah, there. I don't even know about that because you know it is it is a, a Ray. Thank you so much for give, giving us a call. Yeah, I don't even know about the mayor election. Like where my brain is. Uh, I mean, I've got some definitely have some thoughts on on Lori Lightfoot and how. You know, I was a I was a big fan of hers when she first started, and I think you know when it came to the pandemic, both she and Pritzker kind of inherited a giant poop parade. You know, it was kind of yeah, it was a dig. It was a it was that was trial by fire to be like elected, and then you know three months later you are in a pandemic, mm-hmm. and I think the way that uh, Lightfoot handled the pandemic aces. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Then a couple months later, when we have all of the the protests that are happening uh, from George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Black Lives Matter, like all of that, I think that was oof. That was stinky. What do you wish she would have done better there? Well, I wish that she hadn't, you know, raised the bridges. Uh, during that one, during that protest, you know, basically trapping people with cops that were down there who were not Chicago. As a, I was hoping that as somebody who used to be a part of the 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 the, the committee that was holding police accountable uh, for their actions, that Lori Lightfoot would be more on the, the side of our citizens as opposed to the uh, the side of our uh, police officers, because there's a lot of reform that needs to happen within the, the Chicago CPD. There's a huge learning curve and they need to acknowledge the uh, in, internal racism that it, that happens. I think that was a huge huge mistake on her part. You know, and that yes. You seem to like you 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 have thoughts uh, you know, on that. I, I here's what I think about it all. I think and I've said this a million times. The mayor being a mayor of Chicago is one of the worst political jobs oh, yeah. you can have in the country number one. She inherited a world, you know, a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. And, you know, in my opinion, her, both she and uh, the governor, Governor Pritzker, who won decidedly, of course, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job. I think they did a darn good job of keeping our city as safe as they could. It's a it's a thankless job because you're trying to please, you know, the the people from different neighborhoods that live diametrically opposed lives. You're trying to please. You're trying to help. It's impossible. My thing about, you know, Mayor Lightfoot is I think any good governor, person governing, has to listen to advice, not like the president that we just, you know, two years ago got rid of. But most good leaders listen to advice. I'm sure she just... In defense, she made the decision to to raise those bridges, but I don't think it was probably her idea. I'm sure somebody came to her and uh, said, "Here 100%. are options that we have." A hundred percent. You have to sometimes rely on your lieutenants to give you the right information. And again, we hadn't had a situation like this in years and years and years in this city. So, my feeling about Mayor Lightfoot is this. She has four years of experience, trial by fire like you've never seen. None of the other candidates that are running have ever had held the office before. Some have been, you know, aldermen. They've been congressmen, whatever, what have you. Governors, maybe Pat Quinn will jump in. But I feel that her experience her, and, and, and her continuing to try and do better could make her possibly a better and a desirable mayor 
for the next Agreed. four years. Agreed. That's where I'm coming no, from. No, and I, I hear that, and, and we will dive into to the, we'll continue yeah, we, our we, chat we, about the mayoral yeah, race yeah, when but, that actually but happens. Will, but anyway, no, but I, but I, I agree. But I do, you know, she's having to get you know information from lieutenants. But again, the buck has to stop somewhere, and unfortunately, it stops with her. So, uh, and I also think that she's gotten a lot of unfair national attention. <laughs> you know, like it's you know, and her weird. personality. You know, she's she's not one of these. You know. Uh, she's she's not nuanced as much as you know some people would like her to be. But again, maybe that's a lesson that she can learn. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about what happened. And just get a better tailor. And, yeah. uh, anyway, there we are. But uh, yeah, but but speaking of the, you know, you're talking about Pritzker. Pritzker won. What makes me, gave me the biggest sigh of relief, the Supreme Court. I was so worried because at McHenry County, where I was last uh, Sunday evening for a friend's dinner party, that Kathy Salvi signs were everywhere. Like, yeah. we hadn't seen them here, but up there, I'm like, oh, my God, there's so, because we were up in McHenry County, I'm like, they're never going to vote for those, for the two women that need to be elected, and they did. They vote did. For them. Yeah, so we showed up. Yeah, they I know. Showed up. showed up. Thank you. I know. But it was like that was a, I that was the one that I was really, really, really yeah, nervous about because too. the way things are going nationally, you have the Supreme Court, who is definitely way conservative. Uh, you know, the federal Supreme Court, uh, and they are seem to be really, really itching to be swinging states' rights around. Which you know, like, mm, do you remember oh, what? Yeah. Do you remember what the really big issue was with states' rights and what people really? Now they want to make a, a national uh, ban on abortion in right. this whole country. So, so but so the, the fact that we, you know, are able to have like a a, a a more progressive, a democratic Supreme Court that is here in Illinois, big sigh of relief. And I'm guessing, and I don't know the stats, but I'm guessing the, the women made a difference in those counties. And they saw what, again, who stripped away our rights, white men sitting on the Supreme Court and one white woman. They saw two women running who had experience, judicial experience, and they said, I'm not going to, I'm going for those women. I'm going for those women, not the men. They do not deserve to be rewarded for taking away my rights. Yep. Yes. There we go. So, yes. So, in addition to all of like the the victories here in Illinois that were, you know, Go Democrats, keeping it nice, yes, and, blue. nice and blue. Uh, also, there was a big rainbow wave right. uh, across the country. At least 340 LGBTQ candidates won their elections in the midterms. This is according to the LGBTQ Victory Institute, which is an organization that supports queer uh, elected officials. The previous record in 2020 saw 336 out candidates. So we added four. So four more uh, uh, queer, queer folks are are up there. Um, Still have a long way to go, but... Yeah, I know, but... It's, the, good, well, it's a really good sign. It's definitely... I mean, that's not a lot of people, but... Yeah. You know, the organ, organization estimates that around 1,065 LGBTQ plus people ran for office in this election, which is an historical number. Mm-hmm. Uh, the group also found that to uh, reach equitable representation, the voters need to elect more than 35,000 uh, more queer candidates to office. So there's a goal. There's a goal. We there's can a do goal. It. Time takes a little time, but we can do it. We're getting better every every election. We're getting yeah. better. Well, three forty versus thirty five thousand. Yeah, well, we're, yeah. we're a little, we're a a little under. We're a little under there. But I do think that in California, if everything goes out the way it is, that ten percent of their uh, state legislature will be okay. members of the LGBTQ community, which I think is. Great, you know that is something to to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting weird. Were you getting text messages from other states 
like campaign things. Well, yeah, I always have been. But, but yeah, but I started getting stuff sent to me like for the governor's race in Maine. Not no, not Maine, just like okay. Michigan and yeah. No, I was like I got stuff from Florida. I oh, was no, getting I stuff get from Maine. And do you remember last week when we were talking about that smear ad that was out for uh, for Gretchen Whitmer mm-hmm. in Michigan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were using that book. Mm-hmm. Um, this the book that like we were we were gonna play the ad, but even if like we're all good enough at Mad Libs to figure out what the words were gonna uh-huh. be going in there, so not necessarily appropriate, uh, you know, for for everybody out there. But um, so I was getting these uh, uh, ads from a campaign in Maine against their Democratic governor. Who was again going into like, oh, this is like this is these are the books that she is is promoting, you know, boys becoming girls right. and gender and blah, 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 blah. and like so I'm like I got curious I'm like let me just see yeah. what this ad is it is the exact same book, uh, the exact same passages that they used for the Gretchen Whitmer ad, but they were using it in Maine. <laughs> then later on that week, I, and then I just like texted them back. I'm like, oh my God, you are disgusting. And guess what? <laughs> just it didn't stop. work. It didn't work. She won. Uh, but there was also another ad for another governor's race, and I can't remember which it was that I saw on social media, and it was the same. It was the exact same ad. It's a little playbook. That's, they're all just using the same stuff. I'm like, Look, there are a ton of queer books out there. I'm I highly doubt that this one graphic graphic novel uh, is is on the top of everybody's must read list for your fifth grader. You know, it's very strange, but very. so they're coming out for us. But you know, the, again, we we got three hundred and uh, how many forty three hundred forty three hundred forty uh, LGBTQ candidates. Um, they won their races across the country. Some notable wins: uh, Maura Healy of Massachusetts became the first uh, lesbian governor elected in the United mm-hmm. States. Tina Kotek of, or- of Oregon becoming the second. Only hours later, uh, Becca Ballant became the first LGBTQ plus person to represent Vermont in Congress. James uh, Resner of New Hampshire being elected the first trans man elected to a state legislature. And Eric Russell becoming the first gay black man to win statewide office after being elected Connecticut treasurer. So I say, yay, snaps, snaps in a circle and all the the love going out there. Uh, Folks who are on the phone, hang on there. We will get to you. We do have to take a quick break. Uh, So when we come back, it's more phone calls plus more midterm stuff uh, right here on Out Chicago on WCPT. Hi, this is musician Homer Mars, and welcome back to Out Chicago on WCPT. And welcome back to Out Chicago. Homer Mars is dropping new music this week, just to let you know. Okay. There we go. Thank you, Homer. He's in L.A. now. We miss you here in Chicago, but we're glad that you are being fruitful and productive. Almost as fruitful and productive as the midterm elections were. Mm-hmm. Look, it was a good week. Mm-hmm. Usually, historically, what happens is the, the party that's in power that holds the presidency, they, they get trumped yep. on. Uh, and instead of it being a red wave, it was a red splat. We had a rainbow wave, which was pretty darn good. And it appeared to be more of a referendum. Instead of it being a referendum on Biden, it was more a referendum on uh, Trump and all of his Trumpy candidates, uh, which, you know, fills my heart yeah. a little bit. And, 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 I, and I, I do want to say something about Biden. Um, the polls 
say that he has an unfit, you know, he's 44 favorability. The polls are archaic in this country. They call people on the phone. Yes, they call some on cell phones, but let me... Most people we know... I don't answer. They do not... We've got the spam set up. You know, you can set it up. They tell you exactly who's calling. I do not believe polls anymore. I didn't believe them last week. And I think Joe Biden is more popular than the polls state, mainly because... People are ready for a president that is not a scandalous liar. You may think he's old. They may disagree with his policies, but he has done some good things. He has done some good things in this country, and I think it's a relief from the four years, the PTSD that we went through. And I think but Biden, you know, I think and he did campaign uh, in, in, in tough states, you know, uh, for candidates. So I, I don't want to completely dismiss you know, Biden and say that he's uh, is unpopular. I don't believe he's unpopular as the polls say he is, honestly. But I really do believe the abortion issue, as we've said before, and, and democracy being on the line, that resonated with women and young people. Black women have always vote, come our way for the Democratic Party. But the rest of the women, as I hoped, and the young people said, no, we cannot let more Trump, Trumpian types take control of this country. It's wrong. And and as I said earlier, uh, I, I, January 6th, how do you reward a party that did not stand up for democracy, that did not stand up against a president that basically or even worse, attempted a coup? Or even worse, stood up uh, against him the day of and then and then turned and right January around. And, 7th, because he threatened out. them. He threatened them. Guess what? His threats now, his bite his bite doesn't matter as much anymore his to bite people. Never mattered. It well, to them it does That's because true. he That's threatened to take them down. Anybody that disagreed with him, he took them down. And you know what he said last week? If they win, it's because of me. If they lose, it's not because of me. I know. The guy is nuts. Anyway, <laughs> he is a little wackadoodle, I, yeah. which we all know, yeah. and, and apparently has like a very large diaper. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's go back to the phones. Michael in Bronzeville. Hello, my friend. How are you today? You're on out Chicago. Hi, I am fine. I am so um, I'm so thrilled that the Democrats won. I can't tell you. I, you know what? Um, uh, I've heard your comments. You're both correct um, on what you're saying. Right now, we're looking at the Dems at 204 and the Republicans at 211 in terms of the House. Yeah. And I'm waiting for those 20 seats to be counted. Hopefully, they'll be Democratic. I'm very glad that we did have LGBTQ representation in terms of electoral, uh, electoral politics because we count, too. We're Americans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Republicans are for big tax cuts for the wealthy. They do not want to be bothered with LGBTQ people. Uh, that's obvious mm-hmm. in terms of their legislation and their silence on how trans people are treated here in this nation. It's a shame. It's a damn shame. Mm-hmm. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, when I hear people who tell me that they're Republicans, I ask the question, uh, you must have money. Because if you don't, I don't understand I don't understand why you would vote Republicans unless yeah. you had money. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. I, you know, I mean, that's just the bottom line. And I am so good. Now, 
this situation, I want to train. I'm just, Father, I want to transition into a lowly life. But I was one of those persons who who were ever as who were negatively far affected when she raised the bridges. Yes. Oh, uh, that bothered me. I stood behind Lori Lightfoot on for the election night. Yep. On the stage. I work for her campaign. And I was I am disappointed at uh for the number of things. I didn't get my mask from far as anybody uh during the pandemic from C D P uh C D uh um for the health department. I got my mask from Willie Wilson. Just like the other seniors who did, there was a, a, a lack of dealing with the South and West Side. And so, whoever her listeners are, she needs to take them in the bathroom and, quite frankly, be well, uh, uh, stop them. Let me just say that. Okay, okay there we go. Down. They've taken her down, and it's unfortunate. I do not believe we're 11 candidates in the race, and Chewy jumping in, mm-hmm. Chewy Garcia. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much if you divide 11 farther into 100. All you need is uh, 12%, uh, and my math is a little off, but you don't need much to do a runoff. So uh, she's going to be in the runoff. She will. Yeah. You better have a damn good platform. Yep. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm finished. And I am uh, uh, an active, civically engaged uh, uh, member of the LGBTQ community that have been helping progressive candidates um, regardless of their orientation, for the last 30 years. Now, I'll be out there again um, to deal with this because it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I just hope that uh, we have, uh, she has a better situation. Uh, I'm so glad that Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania decided that they didn't want to be bothered with these right-wing candidates because it, it mirrors what uh, the electoral politics in that state deal with. And that gives me uh, uh, a count as into what may happen in 2024. Yep. And, yeah, I'm with you, Ellen. I hope that Trump wins because, I mean, runs because, um, I mean, here's a guy who had the audacity, the mitigated goal, to blame his wife. Oh, I know. For him, I'm at odds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, it's just so weird. He is a, he, yeah, we, all, we all know. And they're starting to, you know, the, the chinks are in his armor. We uh, yeah, we do. We know that. Hey, uh, Michael, sorry Michael, we have to cut you, you off short. Uh, we look forward to, to uh, hearing your call, to chatting with you again once we, the mayoral race is really underway and everything. Uh, but thank you for all your insights. And, thank and you, Michael. Thank you always for listening. Yeah, it's it's uh, this was a very uh, heartening thing that we saw across the country. Mm-hmm. You know, Wisconsin. Oh, because thankfully. we didn't know. I mean, you know, it it was a referendum on democracy because these election deniers. I mean, plenty of them did win, but they didn't win in states that made a difference. They won in purely very red states. Yeah. And so people want the integrity of the elections, no, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. And thankfully, that is the majority of our country, and that gives us some hope. There we go. Well, let's go back to the phone lines. Let's talk to Brian in Joliet. Brian, welcome. You're on out Chicago. 
Uh, good morning. Good morning. Well, I would uh, first of all say uh, yes. Uh, this is a refer- this was a referendum on democracy, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, very ecstatic given the all these uh, uh, projections ahead of time uh, uh, that it was going to be a red Republican tidal wave, and that did not happen. In fact, uh, uh, quite uh, the reverse of that. And uh, now that uh, uh, we uh, have uh, uh, the uh, 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 progressives, I should say, uh, now have the initiative once again. Uh, I hope uh, we see, I hear that uh, uh, Joe Biden is talking down, trickle-down economics. That's a wonderful thing. And I think uh, all the other progressive issues are on, uh, uh, should uh, uh, be uh, kept in mind. I hope uh, Joe Biden keeps expressing them. Uh, the 6.5 human infrastructure that uh, he got elected Mm-hmm. on in the place. And uh, I also think uh, that uh, we see that uh, uh, voters between 18 and 29, approximately 63% of democratic. democratic and global warming and climate change, I'm sure, is also foremost on their minds. And good on Joe Biden uh, being in Egypt and uh, working on uh, this uh, gravely, uh, highly important issue. Yep. Amen yeah, that. amen to that, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank Sorry, you, we have Brian. to cut you short because we do have a lot of callers. This segues right into uh, perfectly for George, uh, who wanted to talk about the Gen Z vote. George, welcome. You're on out Chicago. Thank you. I'm glad we can all share the exhilaration and happiness over this uh, wonderful election. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one quick thing I'd like to say is there's an infamous headline from the 1948 election. Dewey defeats Truman. Yep. I've got I've got one for this year that could have run a month ago. Red wave to roll in twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I think it probably did on one of those fake newspapers that was being sent out there, George. Oh my God. You know, but, <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not. Believe it or not, I was getting those, and I got two more after election. I did, Me too. too. Two more after the election. I know. I'm like, and I've never been more happy that, that, that DeJoy was running the post <laughs> yeah, office. Yeah, me too. That I got Finally, it, some late mail. I got some late like. mail that didn't, that didn't affect <laughs> anybody the there. Way. There we are. George, thank did well, you. Anyway, I'd simply, I'd simply like to say this. If I'm the Republicans right now, I've got a feeling of dread about the future because uh, a key factor in this election was all the Gen Zers who came out, a lot of them for the first time to vote, and they were overwhelmingly voting Democratic, progressive, and in support of women's right to yes. choose. In two years, there's going to be another two years' worth of Gen Zers that'll be registering to vote, mm-hmm. many of them voting for the first time. And in the meantime, at the top end of the age scale, there'll be two more years' worth of reactionary old-timers who are going to be going to their eternal reward? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, there we don't we don't hope that, but but we know that is but, definitely you know, a fact. But if it's their time, it's their time. Oh goodness! Oh goodness! All oh, right, now it's just getting like a bloodbath over here, George. And, thank. And can I just say one yeah. one more thing? Yeah, quickly. Is, is that as a as a lifelong union guy and re, and a former teamster. Uh, I am just delighted that Illinois passed the Workers' Rights Amendment. What this boils down to for this state is that we have repealed the Taft-Hartley Act, which has been crushing union and worker uh, aspirations for 75 years. And and in essence, reestablished the National Labor Relations Act, the Wagner Act, in all its force in 
the prairie state. Yep. Workers matter here, and we stood together and made a big difference. Indeed, I, I am a proud union member myself. And so, so is yeah, my there we are. Wife, so, so thank look you, George. For the union label. Do you remember those commercials? Yeah, I, I love them so much. All right, hey, listen, uh, folks. There sorry we didn't get that to all of your. Hour. We did not get to all of your calls. Uh, if you want to call back at the end of the show, we'll be, open up the phone lines again about uh, like around twelve forty. If you want to give us a call, but uh, right now we do have to take a quick break. Uh, and had to get some news before we hit off the second hour of Out Chicago. So stick around. You're listening to Out Chicago right here on WCPT. I'd like to welcome you to WCPT AM's Out Chicago. Think of us as Sunday brunch with your gay best friends. Now please welcome your host, Scott Duff. And welcome back to the second hour of Out Chicago. Scott Duff here and Ellen Miller Uh rolling along. We're very, very happy about how the midterms went. Yes, we are breathing a sigh of relief. I, uh, you know, the House of Representatives still up for grabs. It's not looking great for no. us, but, but you know, they were claiming thirty and forty seats. They thought they would pick up, and if they have a majority that's very slim, um, I think that you know they're not going to get anything done there. So. Oh, good. As far as the Republicans. I'm so happy that nothing no, is going to get mean, done. I mean, I'm sorry. Again. I mean, the Republicans are going to, yeah, which is going to. Look, we've already passed, like I said, we've, we've I passed the Equality Act through the House I know twice. I know. Two times. It's Two times we but, passed but, it. You know, not, not unlike the Senate, they don't all vote by party, usually, in, in, in the mm, House. There's so many of them. There's so many of them, because but let me tell you, they, there's a slim majority. No, there's some Kool-Aid drinking. No, because people got their butts bitten for um, your, for voting to impeach, yes. uh, you know, yes. for impeach Ding Dong over there. You know, it's uh, it's going to be precarious and, and whatever. And, and we do have to, have to navigate that. It's going to be not, a, not easy. The, to here's that. the worst thing, though. And we'll move on to our guests because like, we've got great guests this hour. But uh, here's, here's the the really hard thing to, to wrap my, that I'm wrapping my brain around. Mm-hmm. Um, should the Republicans uh, win the House, mm-hmm. that means Marjorie Taylor Greene's. She She's going to be reinstated, like all that sudden, into our committees and stuff. So we're going to have to hear from her. And then same thing with like dopey Bobert over oh, there, know. you know, NRA Barbie, that. who's you know she's she's like you said. If you think your vote doesn't count, she is like ahead by a thousand. Oh, I know. Votes. It was like six hundred the other the last night too. I mean, yeah, it keeps I don't know. Changing, it's, it but, keeps moving around, but, but it's, we haven't it's heard very, anything. Bottom line is, it's not. It's a very slim, slim yeah. uh, margin. So we're going to have to hear from some of those wackadoodles. I know those QAnon nut jobs who are but not let me, on. Let me ask. But the party is seeing that they are not. Those, you know, what's her name wasn't up, or was she? Was uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene? No, she was. She, she won. So I think. But the, she's also like they've 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 gerrymandered. They have, that. They have got out their pencils oh, and they yeah. got their new little like steno, the little. But I don't think the party's going to put as, as much validity on them and and want to prop them up as much <laughs> because they don't see mm. them as being. You know, overall, as successful as those couple of candidates. I know, but the thing is, it's like they're they are clickbait. Oh, they are. They are click. We don't even like them when we're talking about it. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. that's the problem. So I guess we'll just now be for moving forward. We'll be in a Marjorie Taylor Green and Lauren Lauren Bilbert free zone. Let's do we it. Says, we don't even need to talk about mm-hmm. them. Ugh, don't even give oxygen to that fire. No, no. Uh, we've got much better things to to give uh, oxygen to. People yep. are out there who are changing the world and doing good things and raising awareness. Uh, a little bit later on. This 
this hour, we are going to have theater maker Tony Kunst uh, on the show to discuss their show uh, Before Winter, which is a solo performance that's taking place as a part of the Step of Steppenwolf's Lookout series. Um, and it tackles the ongoing issues concerning violence against black trans women. Uh, that's going to be coming up later on in this hour, uh, and which I think is amazing because this week is also Transgender Awareness Week. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts on the 15th. Um, and I couldn't think of a better way to kick things off than to speak with our, our first guests uh, for uh, this hour. You know, Black Public Media is a Harlem-based national media arts nonprofit dedicated to creating and producing media content uh, about the black experience from all corners of the world. They have this new documentary series called I Am Who I Say I Am, uh, and it captures stories of gender affirmation. Uh, and joining us now, uh, we have Denise Green. Director of Program Initiatives for uh, Black Public Media and Britt Fryer, a filmmaker and one of the subjects of the series, I Am Who I Say I Am. Denise and Britt, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, hello. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, well, thank you for for coming on, and thank you for for sharing your stories and for putting stories out there. Denise, I want to start the conversation with you. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a history uh, and uh, the mission of Black Public Media? Sure, I think you captured it well. I mean, overall, we are looking to elevate Black stories and Black filmmakers' um, stories as all corners of the world. Um, We started years back in 1979. Um, We have a number of initiatives that support filmmakers through funding, through training, and through distribution. Um, You know, we we enjoy the funding part. Uh, We just had an open call, actually, and our funding is to support stories, short form, long form. And we help to distribute through public media. And, you know, our our body of our, the filmmakers that we support um, over the 40 years, we have supported a number of different filmmakers and have, uh, you know, Mama Gloria is one. Is a, is a, yeah, and we, a Chicago that. legend, Mama Gloria. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Trans activist. Um, and she, that film by Tina Fisher was part of our Afropop series, which is a series that we every year. We're now in our 15th season, um, and it's distributed on public media. We have supported uh, LGBTQ filmmakers over the years, from groundbreaking uh, Marlon Riggs to Tom and Alex Harris to Yvonne Welbin, who's Chicago-based. Rodney Evans, Carrie Hodge, so just amazing talent over the years who continue to bring their stories to the forefront. And so we're all about black stories, but more importantly, all of black stories. Amen to that. And Denise, how did you, how did, how long have you been with Black Public Media? I mean, you, look, your resume is nothing to sneeze at here. You are an Emmy and Peabody award winning uh-huh. filmmaker and producer. You know, uh, how, when did you arrive at uh, Black Public Media? You know, my career started because of um, Black Public Media. All the films that I have worked on over the years um, was supported by National Black Programming Consortium, which was the name previously. And so I've been in and out, either working on films supported by DPM or them to launch various initiatives, like the Story Summit, um, like the 
Institute. And so what's really amazing about the organization is that we try to stay on the forefront of new media technology. And, uh, you know, media landscape transforms, we transform with it and try to really exploit, um, you know, the different platforms, which is, which is how we um, so, but I've been in this last, as director of programs, has been the last five years. Um, and as that, you know, for the director of programs, really oversees the training and funding for traditional programming. But we also have an arm of the organization that works with emerging media, like the AR. So, we're, yeah, we've really, um, you know, tried to capture the landscape. Uh, that, you know, when we're telling black stories, we have the range of tools, the range of platforms, and trying to hit, uh, you know, a diverse audience as well. I love it. It's amazing. And I, one of the many programs that you have uh, that Black Public Media is offering is uh, the whole series of the, the Be Heard campaigns. How did that uh, begin? Yeah. Well, you know, we're telling stories. Most of our a lot of years has been for public television for broadcast, right? Um, and so, be heard was our opportunity to really take advantage of the social media channels mm-hmm. and to um, distribute stories. It's still based, um, but how you know how can we use these channels to spark conversation? And um, our first go around. Uh, Be Hurt was developed around the 2020 elections, and we were looking at um, bringing a conversation, especially um, with a black voice, black lens, um, around voter suppression. Mm-hmm. And so when we're looking at critical issues, how can we look at it from with that framing, right? Um, how do we center black voices in these critical issues? And... Um, the social, you know, we're looking at social media as a place for people to engage. Um, so either you're, you're taking these bite-sized micro-documentaries um, to just, you know, uh, learn something or, you know, uh, just sort of take part in a conversation that's happening and either you're sharing it or you're just taking this bit of information uh, and 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 it's impacting you in some way, and maybe you're taking it to the polls. Um, and so we thought that Be Heard was, a, you know, a perfect platform to talk about gender affirmation and really get people um, engaged and um, being able to see themselves, see their family members, um, be a part of a conversation, you know, learn and share. Yeah, you yeah, know, I love it when an organization still has the optimism <laughs> around social media. It feels like every yeah. day for me, I'm just like I'm more and more jaded about about what it can good, but what good it can do. But I I love that it is uh, with Black Public Media that is still like oh, no, this is this is a, a an, an important tool to spark conversation and to continue conversation. Um, and I love that you have with this series of I am who I say I am. Um, Launching into uh, talking about gender uh, within within the community. Now, Britt, you are the you and your mom actually are the subjects of of one of the the, uh, the installations of of I am who I say I am. Um, 
Let me tell you, I have to say, I'm, I love the relationship that you have that that I saw in this film. Uh, what an incredible relationship you have with her, with your incredible mom. What was what was your journey like with her, with your um, gender identity, uh, and how did it begin, and how did it end up to this point where you're able to be, you know? Cooking and, and 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 talking so freely and having such a strong ally and advocate in your mom. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that for me, um, my mom was always the person that I told everything about. Like mm-hmm. I think um, when I was worried about school or anything, like she really created an open door to have conversations and and treated me like an equal and a person that um, I could really come to her with. So when I started to have feelings around my gender, it just was so obvious that the person I would want to talk to is my mom. And um, the journey for us really was just figuring out like what support really looks like, because neither of us knew what I needed and I, I didn't know. So um, I think just having someone alongside you in that journey as you figure things out, as you figure out what you need is, is so invaluable. Um, and that's kind of where we are today is, is we're constantly trying to figure out um, what each other needs and, and how we want to show up for each other. And that's, that's just an ongoing process. But I'm really grateful to have the support of my mom and my whole family um, yeah, to to live the life that that I I have and and to be the person that I know myself to be. Brett, you sort of answered my question, but I, I want to restate it. Uh, how? What advice do you give someone in your position, or a mother with a with a child like yourself, um, when they're in this kind of you know they don't know how to navigate this new this new territory? What What's the number one thing you would tell? somebody who's in this situation, either from the mother's perspective or the child's? Yeah, I think from the from the parent perspective, like, I think for my mom, it was really helpful to talk to people that, you know, might have had children that, you know, were not cisgender, were trans, were non-binary, um, just to get some advice, seek out resources. Uh, my mom was big into to PFLAG and uh, sort of used all the resources at her disposal to figure out um, how she should proceed. Like, this was an unfamiliar situation for me and for her. So I think the biggest piece of advice is to find the resources that are out there. Um, it's not, you know, a given that everyone knows what to do in these situations. But um, I think if you lead from a place of support and think, how can I be of service? How can I help this person? Um, then everyone will sort of end up in a, in a much better situation. Makes sense. Um, I think for... Yeah, for trans people who are, like, coming to their parents, um, something that was really helpful for me was just to practice patience and and graciousness, knowing that, um, you know, good intentions are there and that, you know, people are trying to navigate and trying to learn how to support you. Excellent advice. That is like, yeah, I keep going back to, you know, when I came out to my family, you know, I had, and I was young, I was, you know, 18, uh, I had had a certain amount of period of time to really digest all that information and process it before I came out. But the information that you're giving to your family and especially to your parents, that's the first time they're hearing. And I think the, the, that you led with patience is so key and what a great piece of advice that is. Because again, you've been processing this for a while. This is new information for these people who you love and, mm-hmm. and love you. So just, mwah. 
Spot on. Love it. Yeah. Um, and I also know, this is just a personal thing, that, Britt, you uh, were a member of the About Face Youth Theater. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I am, I am, an, I'm, I've been a long time artistic associate with About Face Theater, uh, starting from the, from the, from the very beginning. Uh, when I read that in your bio, I'm like, oh my gosh. So when were, when were you, when were you there? Cause I, I, I was actually fortunate enough to work on the first three of, of the, uh, About Face Youth Theaters way back in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was in the youth theater ensemble, um, in about, I would say 2011 to through 2013, um, in my senior year of high school, and was a part of Queertopia, the anti-violence project, uh-huh. um, and What's the Key, which, which were two productions that I was a part of. Um, that was an integral part of, of my journey to being a storyteller now and to being really comfortable with my gender and my sexual orientation is because of that space that, that About Face Youth Theater really gave me. Um, so I just, yeah, I love love About Face. Oh, yay. Well, we love you. I'm so excited. That just, I'm like, oh, look, I know we've been doing good, but it's yeah, really quick to nice see to people see doing really action. good. Yeah. You know, and you're, and you're, you are now a filmmaker and, and, you know, being a part of this incredible series uh, through uh, black public media called I Am Who I Say I Am. Uh, just one final question before we have to say goodbye to both of you, for Denise and Britt, what do you hope people will take away when they view the three, you know, I like you call them micro documentaries uh, of I am who I say I am. Let's start with you, Denise, first. Well, you know, we've been hoping that this will start conversation. That's the main thing. Um, And then with that, um, changing minds and habits, you know, especially around um, use of pronouns in the workspace, um, at home, around the holiday table, all that. Um, with those changing habits, we can change hearts. And in the long run, we can just be better informed about um, how and how, you know, moving in a, in a real respect, um, in real affirming ways for everyone and supportive. Um, ways that, you know, might take us into the vacuum to help but think about how important this is when we're um, in our daily lives, like as voters and as, uh, you know, co-workers and family members and things like that. So. I love that. And, and Britt, your story is profiled in the, the second film. It's called Discussing Gender Identity with Family. What do you, what is your hope that people will take away from, from that? Yeah, I hope people just see um, different models of allyship. I think it's really important to see people that look like you being allies. And I think I hope that, you know, the series um, really helps people see themselves um, as you know, potential supporters of people who are trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming. I hope um, that people just, you know, relate to the series and relate to wanting to support and love their family members and the people in their lives. Um, so that's my, my biggest hope for the series. Yeah, well, Beautiful. based on uh, on what I saw with your, your relationship with your mother and your family, that, that message is coming through loud and clear. Uh, congratulations to both of you on this wonderful series. Uh, the series is called I Am Who I Say mm-hmm. I Am. 
program. It's on Black Public Media. Uh, and for more information on Black Public Media, go to blackpublicmedia.org and follow them on social media. And you know what? Giving Tuesday is coming up and is a nonprofit. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. think of a better way yes. to send, you know, point, get Scott. some love and, you know, things to by supporting an organization that's about telling stories and, and, and creating change and empathy. Uh, Denise Green, Britt Fryer, thank you both so much for taking time out today to join us. And thank you for the incredible work that you are doing uh, out, out there in the world. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Well, we, again, go to blackpublicmedia.org to find out more information and see all the different series and then follow them on social media. That's going to be a really good way. So when they can get a check on their little name over there, you know, we need we need all that sort of stuff going on again. Denise and Britt, thank you so much. Have a fantastic day. Uh, And we've got to take a quick break. And when we come back, there's more at Chicago right here on WCBT. Hi, this is Renee Taylor. You're listening to Out Chicago, WCPT 820. And welcome back to Out Chicago. <laughs> Scott Duff and Ella Miller rolling along. Yes, oh, man. Look, we live in one of the best, the- no, I'm going to say the best theater city. It, SpongeBob it SquarePants. It is the right best. there. It is the best theater city. This was outside the city. It was in a, it was in a suburb. But let me SpongeBob SquarePants. Life changing. Uh, but people who are out there, uh, the, we have theater artists all over this city who are doing incredible work. And Steppenwolf, uh, they are offering up their Lookout series, mm-hmm. uh, which is underway in their very intimate 1700 uh, theater space. I love that space. Uh, and uh, theater. Mo- uh, theater maker Tony Kunst uh, is uh, performing Before Winter, which is a solo performance that tackles ongoing issues concerning violence against black trans women. And joining us now is no other than Tony Kunst. Tony, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? We are You're great. Fantastic. How are you doing? You're gearing up for your opening on the 13th. <laughs> how are you holding up? Okay. I, I'm doing okay. Um, you know, balancing out my uh, this work, my you know artistic career, and also being a PhD student. Oh, <laughs> slacker! What? what are you doing? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Well, congratulations. First of all, you know, being a part of the Lookout series is is a true honor, and I love the work that that Steppenwolf has, uh, curates to highlight and highlights uh, because you get people from all over the city um, with your show before winter. Um, what was you? What was what was the process that you went through to create the show? Yes. Um, I've been developing the show for about five years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, I was only focusing on one subject, and that subject was Marsha B. Johnson. Um, however, as time went on, more and more cases emerged, which expanded the piece. Um, this piece incorporates a series of monologues, but also field recordings. So, uh, the sounds within the work plays an important role as I view it as an entryway and the notion or the, uh, it's impossible to know what happened to some of these victims, Hmm. but I feel as though the lake and the rivers hold all the answers. So when I was writing the piece, 
I would listen to those recordings and I would just go from there. Oh, and so when you are, were these interviews that you were able to have with, with people or was it, is it all found footage? Where, where did you, what were the source of these recordings? Yes. Um, I actually visited these sites. So the, the show centers around, uh, four narratives where black trans women have been discovered in in lakes and rivers across the U.S. Um, So those four sites are the Hudson River in New York, uh, White Rock Lake in Dallas, Texas. Uh, uh, There's the river in Philadelphia, and there's also Lake Michigan up in Evanston. There was an incident that happened back in February, Mm -hmm. well, March of this year. So uh, it's more of research that I found, you know, doing some digging online. But in a way, it shows an experiential overlap between these narratives. And so within this work, I wanted to honor opacity and honor the dignity within uh, for these subjects. So in a way, it uh, incorporates my own personal narratives uh, growing up and discovering my own transness and uh, the piece is in silhouette so talk uh, this is a little bit scenically the entire piece is in silhouette so you will only see my shadow for this entire production what so my uh, work especially within uh, my phd studies i'm interested in the performance of history and how uh, we can make history more accessible by honoring subjects versus misinterpreting or misinforming audiences for the sake of theatricality theatricality if you know what i mean yeah yeah well i'm i'm fascinated by this whole uh notion that the entire piece is performed in silhouette uh you can kind of see like just i you know this is the first time i'm hearing it so i'm just kind of like oh so we're kind of like oh these are just mere shadow representations of people or 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 maybe that's where the people who are they feel like they lived in the margins what would or or, or, i'm just spitballing here what was your decision to do the entire piece um in silhouette yes (laughs) um well kind of mentioned earlier i'm fascinated or i'm curious about the ethics of performing you know work that you know is very it's it's a difficult topic Mm -hmm. so in a way i wanted to honor the dignity of the subjects by not saying their own names or uh, exposing something that uh, happened because all of the subjects within the work have passed away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't have the consent of, you know, telling your story. So in a way, I developed these characters that are loosely based off of these cases. So the silhouette honors uh, the subjects through a lens of opacity to disrupt the gaze, which is, you know, uh, given upon or forced upon black queer bodies or black trans bodies, especially within the theater. Hmm. Yeah, no, I can see that. And especially when you are dealing with something that is like an uh, uh, an, an ethnographic study uh, to a, of some sorts of taking real life people and their and their stories and honoring them, there is that ethical you know, question of like, is this my story to tell? And how yeah. how is a theater maker and performer and a, a thinker and an empathetic soul, how are you supposed to 
is is it your story to tell and is it okay to tell a story yeah you know and that is quite a conundrum that, that that's happening there but but there is also don't you find Yet there is the need to tell these stories, you know? There is something about to get these stories out into the world, you know, for all of... Yeah, I'm sorry. My brain is just... You just kind of exploded my whole head, you know, with with this idea, you know? And and, and this whole notion about, like, whose story is it, like, and who who has the right to tell this story? And yet, it is so... In the lack of verbal consent. Yeah. Verbal consent as well. Yeah, and it's so... So as you are navigating this, and, and, you know, it's got to be challenging to perform because, you know, as you said, all of these these stories that you were telling uh, intertwined with your own personal experience. But the four Mm -hmm. the four bodies of water all contained a person Mm -hmm. who did not who did not make it, you know, and to have this this that sort of trauma that you're re- retelling to an audience, what it, what is it like for you as the storyteller, as the artist, as the curator? Yeah. The What is it like to kind of to relay this trauma while, yeah. again, also walking that very, very delicate line of honoring and, and not um, exploiting this trauma, for lack of a better word? Yes. Uh, When I was writing the script, you know, uh, I was like, oh, should I include this one part? You know, should I include the graphic details of how they found, you know, the bodies uh, or discover the bodies? And so throughout the script, you know, I I covered or I wrote about those uh, graphic details. But uh, a couple of months ago, I was like, oh, you know what, do I actually do I actually have to relay this information? You know, do I actually have to relay this graphic detail, Mm -hmm. the details about what happened? So in a way, the piece serves as erasure poetry. Um, So it's there, but I don't speak about it. Meaning, yes, yes, meaning in a way, we all know that there's, you know, violence happening. That's why you're showing up to the piece to support this piece and listen about it. However, we know that it's there and I don't need to explain to you about the graphic details. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, in a way it honors the opacity or the dignity of those subjects by saying, yes, this is an, this is an ongoing issue and it's terrible. Um, But how do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah. It's, Again, brain cracked wide open immediately when you were talking about the the, the graphic uh, descriptions of of the of the violence that took place upon these these women. Um, my mind immediately went to you know Emmett Till and you know his yeah. mother's mm. decision mm-hmm. to show the violence and and you know and and how that sparked a conversation but i think the conversation that that was sparking was for a totally different audience like it was for it was for another it was for another audience for i guess for lack of a better word you know as opposed to this like you were saying like okay we are coming to support this to find out about this we know what's happening we don't need to hear all of that to relive that trauma because we already live in such a traumatic world right now yeah 
It's so wow. This is okay. So if you are just joining us, our, our guest right now is Tony Kunst, who is a, a theater maker, uh, a performer, writer. Uh, their solo performance, Before Winter, uh, tackles ongoing issues concerning violence against black trans women as a part of Steppenwolf's Lookout series. Um, as you were been, how has the show evolved? I mean, like, evolved over the five years that you've been working on this, you know, with your your historical research, your recordings, how how was it just how has it evolved? Was it you're immediately you're like, this needs to be done in silhouette or we when did how has it changed as you've been working on this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um well, initially, I was only focusing on the case of Marsha P. Johnson. And so I wrote a two-act play, and um, this was back in North Carolina. Okay. <laughs> in the mountains of North Carolina. So, you know, uh, very conservative. Over yes. There. yes, 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 yes. And so, yes, um, and I was coming in, into terms with my own transness, and then I thought about the ethics of performing her story. And then I thought, oh, you know, maybe this is inappropriate for me to do. Um, maybe I shouldn't, you know, put words in someone else's mouth. And so over time, you know, I discovered more cases similar to Marsha's. And then I thought, oh, you know, this is a bigger issue. This is something that happens everywhere, and it's continuing to happen. So with my own studies and my own research, you know, being a Ph.D. student, focusing on how do we perform history um, ethically, you know, over time I thought about how do I honor these subjects? How do I – let me just pause for a second because whenever I was an actor – studying within the MFA and acting program at DePaul and also the BFA musical theater program at Western Carolina University. If I was cast in a show, it was usually an August Wilson piece where I had to expose my guts. I had to cry on stage. I Mm. had to uh, express my black experience, which is um, often tethered to trauma within the theater. So I thought, I don't have to do that. You know, I can tackle these issues, but I can do it through a lens where it's safe for me and it's safe for my own healing through this work. Tony, I'm wondering if you contacted any family members or loved ones of the deceased, and if so, what were their reaction to your to your piece? I have not. Uh, I, I hope to do that um, in the future because, you know, I, I'm kind of treating this performance like a workshop at mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's the first time, you know, that I'm showing this to the public. However, you know, I hope to travel with the show and uh, further the piece. You know, it's kind of like a work in progress right now where I can further the piece in communication with those family members um, to obtain more of an essence of those uh, subjects that mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. embodying through performance. That makes sense. Thanks. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. you know I, I one of the reasons why I love theater, especially uh, new works, mm-hmm. is that you know, theater is a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. It is it is a contract that you are entering as a performer and audience because the audience affects the show as much as the performer oh, yeah. does. You know, and I love how each 
each performance, while similar, is still yet a little bit different. It's a little bit nuanced. It landlines a little bit different differently on one <clears throat> evening than it does on another. Um, as you are getting ready to. Uh, you know, to perform this as a part of Steppenwolf's Lookout series uh, on November 13th through the 20th. What are, what are you hoping folks take away from from before winter? Yes. Uh, people should come to the show because it is a serious ongoing issue. And by showing up, it shows that not only people, uh, not only do people care about the lives of black trans women, but are also willing to listen. We do not listen enough nowadays, um, especially here in America. So I'm curious uh, how listening is an essential step towards collective healing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yes. yes. Uh, amazing. And can you just just briefly before I know we, we I feel like we've kept you too long, but can you just d- explain the title before winter? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the show is called Before Winter uh, as people need to locate bodies during the warmer season. Ugh. A body may remain at the bottom of lakes and rivers for the months in the winter, uh, but it surfaces in about three to six days when the water is warmer. So there's an urgency to locate bodies uh, before winter, uh, before they just unfortunately, you know, risk disappearance. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And I thought that was it. Yeah, I know me too. But I was like, okay, I gotta ask. I gotta ask. Gotta ask. All right. So yes. So this is um, this. Look, Tony, thank you so much for taking time out uh, today to to join us uh, and for helping to 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 share this piece. before Winter is going to be in performance November 13th through the 20th at Steppenwolf. For tickets and more information, go to steppenwolf.org slash lookout. You can get your tickets. Uh, if you have never seen a performance within that 1700 theater space, run, don't walk. It, it really is an experience. And this sounds like not only is it just an experience uh uh, of a performance, but it sounds like it is a community building uh, a- event that will be happening. Uh, and Tony Kunst, thank you so much for taking time out today to join us. Thank you for the work that you are doing and 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 break a leg uh, as you are uh, heading into the the performances next weekend. Thank you so much. All right, uh, Tony thank Kunst, you, there you go. Uh, we have got to take a quick break, and when we come back, there's more at Chicago right here on WCPT. Hey, everybody, this is Tanya Richard from Tanya's Take, Race, Culture, and the Culture of Race, and you are listening to Out Chicago, WCPT. And welcome back for the final thrilling show-stopping moments of Out Chicago right mm-hmm. here on WCPT. Uh, that, and let me tell you, before winter sounds great. Got to yeah. go check that out. Yeah. At the step it sounds heavy, but it sounds great. heavy. But, needed, but yeah, but it's like, but, but in a heavy world. And we, you know, we were talking world. during the break too. Like you, uh, we were talking about Brittany Griner. Yeah, I just want to remind, you know, we, we, we've got to be reminded. I want to remind every week uh, our listeners and people that can hear our voice, Brittany Griner, we can't forget her. If this was an NBA, male NBA player, white or black, 
it would have been top of mind awareness. People would be talking about it all the mm-hmm. time. It would, but but it's a woman. It's a black woman, a lesbian, and I just worry. I mean, she's been sent away to a penal colony. Her own attorneys do not even know exactly where she is yet. Of course, I did some deep diving into the penal colonies and how Russia treats. You know what, what happens when they send them there. They said it can be up to a two to four week process to get them there because they have them stop at other places along the way, you know, and it's just, it's brutal and we can't forget about Brittany. So please, you know, write your Congress people, your senators and remind them that you care about this American that was unjustly tried and thrown into uh, a Russian prison, please. As a political tool. Yeah, she's a political tool. Yeah, that's what's going on. It's, yeah, it's... For all the good things that are have been happening in terms of like midterms, we need to remind, you know, get on to our elected officials to bring Britney home. We need to free Britney um, and not Spears. Not Spears. You know, she's yes, a, she's, she, fine. she's just fine. But we do have somebody who's, you know, an athlete at the top of her game. Yeah. Um, just incredible. Uh has a wife. Has, has a wife. Kids. Has kids. You know, it's this is uh, somebody who um, is 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 the best of America, yeah. and and. This is what this is what's happening. Yeah. So, so yeah. please keep her in mind and, and please, do what you can. To please, please keep her top of mind awareness. Please, please do. They say um, by the end of the year, but I haven't heard much about it lately. So I, you know, we have to stay on it and, and keep it. You know, keep her, keep her, her what's going on with her. You got to keep it on. Yeah, keep the word going because yeah. once it disappears into the zeitgeist, you know, we need to from the zeitgeist. We need to continue yeah. it. So yes, free. Make sure that we find Brittany. Brittany Griner. Sorry, mm-hmm. my brainness. That's okay. Around, um, yeah, and again, just I'm my fingers are crossed for the house. I don't think it's going to happen, um, but you know, at least we held on to the Senate. Um, they're still like in a way that since since we've been on the air for almost nine years now, mm-hmm. I don't recall the amount of hate and vitriol towards the LGBTQ community that is happening um, in in this country. The regressive party, as I call it. It is the regressive party. Um, it's very scary to mm-hmm. see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thought of what is going on to Americans in, in our country. We talked... I, I tend to focus on Tennessee because, well, A, well, I used to live there, and mm-hmm. B, it is one of the most anti-LGBTQ states in the country. That's going. We, we mentioned earlier in the show that one day after the 2022 midterms, um, Tennessee, they doubled down on their anti-LGBTQ yeah. sentiment, and they introduced two bills targeting the queer community you know they are spreading out the lies that we are like groomers and dangerous to the community uh the the two bills that that have been posted and i believe passed uh, senate bill one uh prohibits doctors and families from making necessary life-saving health care decisions to support transgender youth and sb3 makes performing drag in public where children can see it a crime. So basically it means any medical intervention that alters a child's hormonal balance and any procedure that enables them to identify as a different gender than that assigned at birth would be illegal under this bill and anyone who violates its enforcement would face $25,000 fine. That's for the the healthcare mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. For 
the whole no drag queen thing. It is the language within it is so broad. It's so broad. It's basically they're saying that where a child might possibly be, there can no be there there cannot be any sort of uh, quote unquote cross dressing. There can be no drag performances. There can be you know nothing like that. So it's. It is illegal for an adult cabaret performer to perform on public property or in a place where minors can witness it. It's just, it's so weird. It's so weird. Like I said earlier, you know, SpongeBob, the musical, could not have been done in the state of Tennessee uh, because there are girls playing boys. Um, how, about, how, about, how about Victor Victoria? How about how about so many? How about bending? Shakespeare? How about Shakespeare? How about Shakespeare? Where so many of the productions of, of his plays, uh, especially the comedies, involve people disguising themselves as another gender. You can't do that's illegal now. So when so. when Viola in in Twelfth Night in when she gets washed ashore uh, at the very beginning as Viola and the only way that she's it's a weird way to survive but she decides that's how she's going to survive is to dress up as Cesario and to go serve a duke as dressed as a, as a man. Okay, that would be illegal. It's just. So bananas. And what do they think is happening at like when it comes to like the big thing is, which has been a perennial favorite for for the Republican Party is our drag drag queen story hours. I don't understand why they're so upset about this. I don't get it. It's not like, okay, drag performance in a bar, in a nightclub is a for adults is totally different. It is a it is a thing. That is what happens. And there is a lot of play around gender and around sexuality and the use of camp. And it can be political. It can also so just be silly entertainment. Um, that is what happens in a bar or a nightclub where you have to be 21 in order to get in. But to these drag queen story hours where basically your child enters into a bookstore or a library mm-hmm. to have somebody dressed in an incredible costume who looks kind of like a, a an animated character sure. come to life yeah. with cotton candy colored hair and gigantic poofy sleeves and a dress that goes on for days. Just something that is so over the top and fantastical and magical will read The Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> what? How, what? How? What? How is it? How is this grooming? That whole phrase has me so mad. This whole idea of grooming that we're going to get our toaster ovens if we get enough <laughs> little kids <laughs> to go out and drag or to become to claim that they are the opposite gender. It's it's, it's it is one word. madness. It's fear. It's it, well, fear. it's fear, but it's, it's but. I don't. It's misplaced the, fear. The but thing it's that I, fear. But, I, but what is the fear? What is the, what is the fear of the the, of the other? The, these people. I know the fear of the other. But look, I went and I saw. You know, I saw uh, Johnny Cash 
do I want to wear all black and become like a, a country that. singer? No. And, and kids are that. used to non-binary characters. So many cartoon characters, uh, you know, are non-binary. Nobody's got a little junk on it. It's a, it's know, a cartoon it's character. Just, uh, th- this is overreach. This is fear. This is hate uh, on full display in the state of Tennessee. But, Scott, I think if there's any silver lining is it's not working in other places. You know, it's not working in these. I think it's less and less. In the South, it is. But I know in in the South, it is. In the South, it is. The South is. I'm sorry. The South is a lost cause. A lot of it. I don't think. No, a lot of the South is a lost cause. It really is. In my, I think in my lifetime, I I don't have a lot of faith in the South because they. You know, when we're in Tennessee, we go to visit Kathy's family for Christmas every year, and on the way there on the highway, we have a we have to pass a giant Confederate flag, and it's placed. Somebody's private property. It's huge, like the yeah. huge American flags. You know, this is something that has been going on in this in, for way before, you know, for for years, hundreds of years. Yep. And sadly, they hold on to this as part of their heritage. They they it's it's their badge of honor or something. But it's ridiculous. And I, you know, look, it's 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 tragic. But it I, is tragic. But we do. But I I, I think we can, we can abandon part of our country. We can't give up hope. We can't have faith. Give up faith because you know we I we both have loved ones who are living in that state. We yes. have loved ones who live in the South who are trying to make a difference. Who are out yes. there coming up. Who are hopefully going to show up in Georgia for the the uh, runoff uh, uh, election that will be happening. And I think the only answer is the young people because those states have young people too. And those young people that are getting an education are learning about climate change and acceptance. Yeah. You know, and, and things that are important, th- th- those are being, you know, acceptance. I mean, I'm, there's some schools, I'm sure, in the rural areas, of course, they don't teach that. But we hope that kids, and that's going to be the, the difference. Young people in those states, if they can think for themselves, and we hope that they can, uh, that's going to be the only thing that's going to change it. Because the old guard, they're not changing. Well, they are changing. Well, even like the new, the you know, Marsha Blackburn, that woman. Ooh. Wackadoodle. I don't know. I, I, I hope my, 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 my hope is that enough people and the, the next generation, Gen Z, mm-hmm. will will rise up. Okay. And take that. I'm hopeful they uh, will. Before we end, I just want sure. to say, you know, so we were uh, we celebrated Veterans Day mm-hmm. uh, this week. Uh, my and my beloved, my fiance, uh, was fortunate enough to actually, you, you know, he, he writes opera libretti yeah. to work with the U.S. Army uh, band and uh chorus to create an, an opera that is about veterans and about uh-huh. the, about service and about what's going through. And he's been very, very fortunate that it's had a lot of productions um, since its debut. And it most recently had one in, um, in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, and around Veterans Day, oh. and they had the, uh, they've been incorporating courses of of actual along with opera singers mm-hmm. of actual veterans are a part of the production. Oh, wonderful! And there was a Q and A this 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 week uh, where somebody asked uh, a, a veteran who was a part of the chorus, um, "Is it respectful to thank a soldier for their service?" And their response was, and this is a quote, yes, but your thanking me for my service does not absolve you of the responsibility to be a decent human being, be someone worth fighting for, be someone worth dying Amen. for. And that is something that I think that we need to make sure that as we are thanking our veterans, that we are looking upon ourselves 
be someone worth fighting for. Beautiful thought to leave us with, Scott. And on that note, uh, uh, we've come to the end. I want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank uh, Denise Green and Britt Fryer uh, and Tony Kuntz. Make sure you check out their their show before winter at uh, the Steppenwolf Lookout Series this weekend. Uh, Paul, you are amazing. Make sure you check out the uh, uh, Sports Cubicle tonight at 9 o'clock. There we are. Jewel, yes. Oh, my gosh. Never has social media run so smoothly. Right, Paul? Thank you, Jewel. Thank you, Jewel. Uh, there you are, Ellen Miller. Always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. Back at you, There Scotty. you are. Uh, happy Veterans Day. Thank you. Thank you for being somebody who is worth fighting for. Oh, there we are. Uh, and I'm Scott Duff. And until next week, stay, stay proud. proud.